This morning's uh, reading is taken from the second letter to Timothy. The Apostle Paul has just been writing to Timothy, warning him about false doctrine, false teachers. And he continues. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions that I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. If you are visiting, it's lovely to see you. My name is Paul. I'm the, uh, one of the ministers here at Emmanuel Church. Uh, thank you very much. And having realized that I had left my Bible over there, Rachel, thank you for getting me that. We all do, Rachel. Uh, so today I thought we'd look at the Bible and we're not going to have... Not as in we always look at the Bible because that's what we teach from every week, but actually look at the Bible a little bit, you know, the, what it is and, and what we understand it to be. And perhaps some of the misconceptions inside the church and outside of the church to help us to be informed about what it is so that we can talk about it in an honest way. Because if you've ever really looked at the Bible, you'll realize it's actually quite a complicated piece of work. It's not easy, and it raises lots and lots of very difficult questions, which people rightly ask about and say, well, what about this? What about that? How does that reflect the nature of the God that you talk about? What about the contradictions? What about the violence? How do you hold that intention? So we're going to look at the Bible today. Uh, and I must admit, I've been really inspired by a few books. One of them is this one, God of Violence Yesterday, God of Love Today, by Helen Payne, who's a Baptist teacher. Uh, and the other one, as I, I announced this last week that we would be doing it, so don't think I have nicked this from someone else, okay? It just happens, to, that happens, strangely, that one of the podcasts I follow for an American church uh, called Bridgetown Community in uh, uh, the US, where the, the senior pastor there is uh, John Mark Comer, last Sunday taught on the Bible. 
also like win for me as I was listening to that during the week and thought that's just amazing so we're going to look at the bible and I'm not very good at technology so we could go uh, my powerpoint slides could be going all haywire for me but we're gonna see look I've kissed the oh I've got to turn it on that's why you see I'm not very good with technology and I'm basing it on this quote here Uh, And this is from uh, The God Delusion, a book by Richard Dawkins, one of the new atheists. He's an Oxford uh, professor. He teaches biological sciences in Oxford, and he's one of the movement, one of the key, they call him one of the the four horsemen uh, of uh, new atheism. Uh, And he says this, do those people who hold up the Bible as an inspiration to moral rectitude uh, have the slightest notion of what is actually written in it. And you know what? I don't agree with Dawkins on a lot of things, but I agree with him on that. But I think Dawkins is asking and making the wrong point. And so we're going to look at that today. I thought it would be helpful to understand what the Bible is, because uh, people like Dawkins make these comments quite a lot about the contents of this book. And if we don't understand a little bit about the book, we don't really know how to answer things like that. Because I think he's true. It's right. That is a correct statement. It's just based on incorrect suppositions. Uh, And therefore, we need to be able to argue those suppositions before we can, so we can counter that statement of truth. So let's look at the the Bible. What is it? And what is it not? So I don't know if many of you have got Bibles that look a little bit like that at home. They're just desperately crying out, read me. Uh, What is it? What do you think it is? What do you think it means? How do you interpret it? How do you read it? So uh, the Bible... What does Bible actually mean? That's a question. Uh, it requires an answer. So let's have a general knowledge quiz. Uh, Bible means what? And does anyone know the word that it comes from? Bibliotech? No, that's French. <laughs> and bibliotech comes from the same source, root word. <laughs> bibliotech. It's a great word, isn't it? It makes, makes libraries sound cool. <laughs> Uh, anyone know what it means? Come on, I'm looking around. I know there's some scholars in this. <coughs> yeah, I mean, that comes from the Greek, biblos, which, biblios, which means book. Book. That's simply what it means. Look, there we go. I've even written it in Greek for you. Biblia. Uh, the book. Or the books. Uh, But actually, that's not a particularly helpful definition for us, because in a modern understanding, we we look at the Bible and our only concept of the Bible is this, or maybe nowadays you've got it in that format. But actually, that's not what the Bible ever looked like. This is a a modern invention, a book. And and when we understand a book, we think it's something to be read uh, and something to be dipped into, dipped and out of. uh, But actually, it's a a better understanding, although 
the book is a, a perfectly good translation of the word Biblia, but a better understanding for a Christian of what the Bible really is, is a library. And when you're reading from a library, if you go into a library, you pick a book of interest, but that doesn't necessarily define everything that that library holds. So you could go to uh, the library and pick up the latest John Grisham thriller. So what does that tell you about the culture that we're living in? What does it tell you about history? It tells you virtually nothing about that. You could go to a history book and it might tell you something about history, but it won't tell you anything about, about the literature. It won't tell you anything about law, anything like that. So a library is a much better understanding of what the Bible actually is. It's not a, a book in the sense that we have books. It's, it's a library. It's a, con, uh, it's a, 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 a wide breadth of types of books. So a library is a better understanding. And actually the Bible never refers to itself as a Bible. It only ever refers to itself as scriptures. And in those days, scriptures were big scrolls and they were meant to be read out. So the Bible originally was something to be read out in large chunks, not small little passages. And we have, a, we have this nasty tendency within the church to open it, get a verse and read that verse and go, ah, oh, that's... that's we take, we're taking that verse and we lift it out of the pages of that and we own that and we make it say something that sometimes it just was not supposed to say. And we can come with all sorts of mess as a result of that. But we must not make, the, must not make claims about the Bible that it does not make for itself. So the Bible doesn't make a lot of the claims that we make about it in the church. We say it's the, the word of God as if somehow, somehow, years ago, this sort of angelic being brought this book down, leather bound, because we all know that's really how Bible's supposed to be, uh, and, and gave it to the church from God. Well, there's only one sort of one religion that really believes that, and that's Mormons believe that that's how they got their word. We don't think that in the church. The Bible doesn't make that claim about itself. It doesn't, it, 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 it just doesn't say that that's how this thing came to be. It does say all scripture is God breathed. And that's the passage that we had read there. It doesn't say that all scripture was delivered to humanity by God in the, the content that we have it in today. It's, been, it's evolved over centuries to the, the, the place that we've got it. It's been put together by lots of different writers, but it says that it's God breathed. Now I've got an illustration for this and it requires Paul. He doesn't know I'm gonna use him for this, but you know, he's paid staff. <laughs> so he'll do as he's told. Paul, do you want to come and pick your guitar up? If, where is your guitar? What have you done with it? <laughs> do you want to get it out then? <laughs> so uh, we're going to listen to Paul, and he's just going to play a simple chord pattern, Paul. So if you can pick your guitar up, and you don't need to plug it in, because it doesn't have to be loud. Just play it. So G, E minor, C, D7. Uh, so from his, uh, the key of G. Sorry? Well, no, but I, there we go. So here's a question, as Paul plays that, where's the music coming from? Who's making the music, or what's making the music? 
is it? So Paul, stop playing. <laughs> Guitar, play the chord pattern. G, E minor, C, D7. So it's not the guitar, because it's not doing it. So Paul, put your guitar down. And now give us the chord pattern, G, E minor, C, D7. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. You've made the point. I've embarrassed him sufficiently. And do you, do you understand the imagery there? That actually it's a partnership between the two. It's like, a, it's like a, a sailing boat on the sea. It doesn't go anywhere without the wind that blows it. And that's a much better image about how we understand Scripture. It's God-breathed. It's a partnership. And actually, what, I, what I've been reflecting on this as we think about Scripture, it, we, if we understand Jesus, because let's be Jesus is the answer to everything in the church, isn't it? It's, that's the answer. What was the answer? It's, it's Jesus. So if we understand who and what do we think Jesus is? Do we think Jesus is 100% man? Well, that was a nervous yes, wasn't it? We do. We think Jesus, the Christian church teaches that Jesus was 100% man. Do we think Jesus was 100% God? Yeah, the Christian church believes that he was 100% divine as well. That he was both 100% man and 100% God. We believe that actually that's how the incarnation comes together. And, we, and actually that's not a bad representation of the Bible. We think it was inspired by God but written by man. There's a, there's a, that God inhabits the, 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 the words and, and inspires the words as they're written down. Here we go. And I've got some helpers for this next point. When I talked about the fact that there's a library... We must remember that this library was written when even the most modern stuff that we have it, the New Testament, was written, let's give or take a, a couple of decades, but let's say 2,000 years ago. But some of the more ancient texts, possibly 3,500 years ago. So uh, I've got some helpers, uh, and then Abigail, uh, Joel, and uh, Noah. They're not all my kids. It's the other Joel. If you want to come out, bring your pieces of paper. And I want you to listen to these. Uh, is this working, Grant? It will be. So uh, let's have Noah's first. Now, Noah, gonna, the words are going to be up there for them to listen to. But Noah, you read this into that. Bolton Wonders fight through to victory in a historic night of action. Bolton Wonders annihilated Nottingham, Nottingham Forest 7-0. Captain Leo Black, Blackett said. Thank you. So if you were to read that as, thank you, now if you want to go sit down. If you were to read that somewhere, what would you assume to be the type of genre of writing that you're reading? Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. you. You read that and go, wow, that's, that's miraculous. Let's, let's work on that basis rather than fiction. That's miraculous. But what type of miracle would be happening in this? What are you actually reading? Yeah, and in particular, what part of a newspaper, Mark? It's a sports report, isn't it? That's what you're reading. Okay. Uh, Abigail, you want to read the next one for us? 
Dear Caitlin, Cupid has struck me with his arrow and now I can hardly breathe. I feel dizzy, my head spins, my heart pounds. Thank you. So if you were to read that, what do you think you're reading? Fiction again. That's not the answer to everything today. Because how romantic you are, aren't you? We'll be praying for Bethia later. What do you think you're reading? What genre of writing are you reading? A love letter. Thank you. That's what you think you're reading, don't you? In, in the context there, you think you're reading a love letter to someone. What about this? Fillet of a fenny snake in cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, Les- lizard leg and howlet's wing. Tis Shakespeare. Thank you, Joel. Thank you very much from uh, from Macbeth. Don't ruin the punchline, Peter. So you read that. And the first thing you, you think of, it's Shakespeare. You then may have uh, shivers down your spine, remembering those days in English literature classes when you think, oh, I used to have to go and make sense of Shakespeare. And unless you're an English scholar, uh, you used to go, oh, Shakespeare. That, uh, maybe I'm just, you know, imposing my thoughts upon you. But let's, let's imagine now, can we? And this is going to be hard for us. Imagine we took those three pieces of writing, a sports report from a newspaper, a love letter, or a, a snapshot from a love letter, and a, a, a tiny piece of Shakespeare. We managed to stick it in a time capsule, and we buried it. And then we just forgot about it. And then, say in about three and a half thousand years, it's dug up. And they find these three ancient manuscripts. And they manage to find someone who can translate ancient English into whatever language it is that they're speaking in three and a half thousand years. And they read this and they try to understand the culture of ancient England three and a half thousand years ago. Possibly you could end up reading it a little bit like this. The first one, the sports, what we would say, the sports report, clearly describes some sort of battle, presumably by a nomadic nomadic tribe, the Wanderers, uh, which destruction of woods, a normal consequence of battle victory in those days, perhaps. Clearly other people, forest dwellers perhaps, were killed in the action. The second sounds like a description of some sort of war injury leading to a nasty cluster of medical symptoms. (laughs) Caitlin, perhaps, is the doctor. And the third piece of paper is obviously a recipe. Those poor ancient peoples didn't have a very appetizing diet. The Bible was written a long, long time ago. And if we just read it literally, we end up coming up with some mistakes. We could end up making false claims about the Bible like we've just done with those pieces of literature there. A better understanding of how we should read the Bible and how the Bible invites us to read it is not literally, but literarily. To understand the genre 
and then to try and understand the context in which it was written in. If we do that, we have a better understanding of what the writer was trying to do, the writer was trying to make. We must remember that it's an ancient text. It's a really old text. And what we mustn't do is try and read it with our own modern eyes. When we're reading history, the history of I mean, a historical text in here, we've got to understand that ancient history and ancient historians captured information in a very different way than we capture information. And we mustn't assume that just because it's in there that God has somehow likes what's happened because it is a piece of history. And so one of the things, one of the claims that Dawkins makes when he's talking about the, 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 the Bible and the God of the Bible is this God is abhorrent in many ways. He, he, there's, there's actions in here in the Old Testament which are horrific. And somehow this God is reflected in that passage. Well, you see, the problem is we don't do that with any other piece of history, do we? We don't read the stories, the, the, the history of, say, Henry VIII. And, his, and we don't read the story of, history of Henry VIII and go, well, that's marriage advice. We don't read it in that context and say, well, that's how the king behaved and therefore that's perfectly acceptable in the course of a marriage because the king behaved in that way. It's historical. It doesn't mean that that's what should have happened. And the, and the Bible is also like that. It's historical, but it doesn't mean that God's sitting there going, yes, I'm really happy with this. And sometimes God directly speaks against it in the Bible and sometimes he indirectly speaks against it. But it is a historical, historical account in places and we must be careful that we don't, we don't read the Bible and go, well, just because this happened, it means that God is pleased with it because sometimes he's not. So we must remember it's an ancient text and that we can't read it with modern eyes. We have to be more clever than that. And Dawkins, I'm afraid... He's a bright so-and-so, but he's not clever on this. He reads it with a modern eye. He doesn't have any understanding of the genre, any understanding of what's trying to be communicated. He just reads it and says, well, this is what the God's like because this is what happened. So we don't do that with history, but he does. We cannot take the passages from the Bible in isolation. This is why I had to put that picture up at the start of the, the Bible with the read me written on it in dust. Because actually, we, the Bible is a collection of stories. But as in music and some good pieces of music, it starts quietly and it crescendos to its climax. The Bible does that. The Bible is a continued revelation of who God is. And it's not revealed perfectly until we get to Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect revelation of who God is. And so we need to, you need to not just take passages, uh, one passage and read something into that. It doesn't say you have to look at the whole story. 
and say, well, what's the whole story of God like? And we've got, and, and church, we've got to stop telling Bible stories as if they're cute stories. And somehow God is really pleased with these cute stories because he's not. I've just been reflecting recently on the story of Samson. Yeah, and we tell those stories, don't we, in Bible, in Sunday school, the story of Samson. He's so strong and he's our hero. And you're thinking, yeah, and do you know what? He was such a failure. Such a failure. Everything he did was, not, was virtually completely the opposite to the hero that we paint him out to be. He was supposed to be a Nazarite. So that meant that he had certain rules and restrictions in his life, and he broke nearly every one of them. And we go, yeah, but he was strong. Yeah, but he was a failure completely. You know, one of the passages in the, the, one of the great bits of law in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was established not as a point of, of uh, retribution, but it was put it, God in, uh, brought this piece of law in, an eye for an eye, a tooth for noose, not because he wanted to escalate violence, but he was trying to rein the violence in and said punishment can never exceed the crime. You know, if you steal a loaf of bread, you cannot be killed for it. That is not acceptable punishment. The punishment is, cannot exceed the, the, the original offense. And that's what the eye, and eye, eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was all about in the Old Testament. So let's look back at, at Samson. We, we lift this story out and make it say something that it doesn't. The whole book of Judges is constantly repeating this line all the way through it. In those days, there were no kings in Israel and the people of God did exactly as they wanted. That is the repeating line. That's the story of the kings, of the judges, the time in the judges. And we make Samson to be this hero when actually what the Bible is telling us is he was a failure constantly. Someone did something wrong to him. And what did he do? He killed 3,000 people. Someone upset him. And he did this crazy act where he set fire to the the whole of their uh, harvest and and wiped out the economics of the area. That wasn't wasn't following God's rule. God's rule was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. So what we, we need to be careful is we don't tell cute stories and make it say something that it doesn't. We don't need to lift the passages out of the Bible. We've got to look at the whole of the story. The, what the Bible, what we call the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible. Dawkins doesn't do that. He look, takes an individual passage and says, well, this is what that says. He goes, yeah, but you've got to look at the big story. If you just look at one passage in any book, you can make it say whatever you want to. And the revelation of God is progressive throughout the Bible until it hits Jesus. And so if you want to know what God's really like, don't look at the the Old Testament because God is continually revealing himself. He hasn't fully revealed himself in the Old Testament. It's a story of God's interaction with humanity as he continues to reveal more of himself. He continues to reveal more of his heart and he's dealing with the mess that humanity is, is making every point all the way through it until he gets to the person and Jesus says, that is my perfect revelation of who I am. And Jesus actually says that about himself. If you want to know what God's like, look at me. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at me. That's what, the, that's what the father is like. And so we have to understand that, that the Bible is a progressive story. And he, it, it's, it's, it's a constantly moving one. But 
But church, here's the thing that we really need to take on board. We must be honest and admit that some passages are really difficult to understand and to reconcile. And do you know what? If we're honest about that, we're being real with ourselves and with a world that's holding the Bible and going, this is a difficult book. Because it does do some things that are really hard to understand why God allowed that. But it's better to be honest than to come up with glib answers that don't adequately deal with the question. Be honest and say, do you know what? The, the Bible is really difficult at times. It asks some really difficult questions. And to be honest, no Bible scholars and theologians have adequately come to an understanding yet of why that happened. But we know one day Jesus will explain him. We know one day everything's going to be put right. Because that's the big story. We need to be honest with ourselves and, and, and with the people that ask questions about this book. You're all seeing everything else that's on my screen. That's not helpful. I don't know if that makes any difference. But we need to be honest. And as I said, right back at the start, it's a collection of books. It's a library. And to know the library, we have to read the books. We have to know God's big story. So we have to read it. We have to read out, do it together. Because the book, the scriptures were written to be read out publicly, talked about publicly, not just on an individual basis. So, can I encourage you, if you are a member of this church, we have a, we have a, a heart for people to engage with the Bible. We have a heart for people to engage in groups, small groups. We have those running through the week where you can get to grips with some of the big questions in here. If you're new to this and you've got questions, then we run courses where you can ask some of the questions you've got. Maybe you quite like some of the stuff that Dawkins comes out with. And I'd love to talk to you about some of the issues that Dawkins has and says, well, actually, I think he's got it wrong on so many different levels. Yeah, come and speak to us. But can I encourage you to start to, to take the Bible seriously? That means understanding the context in which it was written in the people to it and the world that it was written in. It's not a modern text. It's an ancient one. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to hand back over to Rachel in a moment. It's okay to not know the answers if you thought about the question, but it's not okay to not know the answers if you've never really thought about the question. You know, be honest. It's got some difficult passages in here. But unless you've thought about the difficult questions, you're doing an injustice, really. I'm going to hand back over to Rachel, who's going to close the service for us.
if um, God has spoken to you in any way or you feel you need prayer for anything, there will be people over here available to pray with you after the service about anything at all. If you want prayer but you don't want to talk about what you want prayer for, that's okay too because we don't necessarily need to know because God already knows and we're happy to pray for you in any circumstance. There'll be tea and coffee over here. Please stay. Avail yourself of the very lovely real coffee and the tea and there are fruit and herbal teas as well. There'll be biscuits if you get there before the children. Um, but please stay, talk with us. We'd love to get to know you better. Let's just close with prayer. I'd like to finish with a Celtic blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.